Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Addicted Mind Plus the podcast where recovery, mental health, and wellness take the front seat. I'm Dwayne Osterland, and joining me is my co-host, Eric Osterland, known for his insightful work on the Stuck Brain podcast. In each episode, we'll dive into actionable small steps to help those in recovery journey further along the path to wellness. Our conversations are designed to be concise, typically around 15 minutes, though we may occasionally delve deeper when the topic demands it. Our goal, to provide you with practical advice grounded in real experiences and expert insights to empower your recovery journey. So whether you're on a break, on a walk, or just taking a moment for yourself, join us as we explore the many facets of recovery and mental health one small step at a time. This is The Addicted Mind Plus, where your journey to wellness gets an extra boost. So let's get started. All right, let's start this episode. Eric, are you ready? I am ready. Let's dive in. Okay, I'm excited about this topic. We are going to talk about the stages of change model. And the reason I really wanted to talk about this model is that for me, it's given me a way to look at the change process and to be able to understand how change takes place in us and and how we move through that process because when we're working with addiction that's what we're trying to do we're trying to change right we're trying to change our life we're trying to change the things around us and i think this model gives us an ability to look at that yeah i think it gives us an objective ability almost like a roadmap kind of feeling that you know you know which stage you're in to a certain extent we'll also touch on the the limitations later on as well cuz it's not perfect but it's definitely a great launching point and a great way to look at addiction and change. Absolutely. So the the stages of change model was developed in the early 1980s by James Prochaska and Carlo Di Clemente. And the reason this kind of came about is that they were doing a study around smoking and, and stopping stopping smoking. 
And when they did that study, they realized that people go through a predictable set of stages mm -hmm. as they as they make that change. And what's happened with that model is that it's from that study about stopping smoking, it's been applied to behavioral change in general, especially around addiction. One of the things I really do like about the stages of change model, and we're going to go into all the different stages here in a minute, but is that it's, it's a very humanistic model. It is, uh, to me, more invitational, uh, more compassionate, more person-centered, and I like that. And when I was introduced to this model, I was working at a, a, a treatment facility, and it was very old-school treatment. It was very hardcore, get your stuff together, and if you're not getting your stuff together, then it's somehow your fault. And when I started working with people and I, I found this model, I started applying this model with the population I was working with. And I found a lot more success because it was a very compassionate model that I believe we don't really make deep change through shame. Yeah. Uh, we, we make change when we feel good and we want to do it. So this model Re really helped with that. And so I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into the stages. All right. So what they found when they were doing this research is they found that people move through six stages of change when they're trying to adopt a, a new behavior or break an old behavior. So we're going to go through all six. And so the first phase is pre-contemplation. So it, in this stage, people are unaware or really just uninterested in changing their behavior. So we all know people who or ourselves have been there where we've been in processes or behaviors that, you know, maybe they're not good for us, but we just have no interest in doing anything different. Yeah. Pre-contemplation. And what's what, you know, if you're if you're interacting with somebody who's in pre-contemplation phase, um, they're not going to be interested in making any changes. And so they're just not, they, they don't want to do anything. They're pre-contemplation. They're not even contemplating changing. They don't even think it's important. Then what happens is people move into the next phase, which is contemplation. Yeah. Can I say something real quick about pre-contemplation? Yeah. Uh, what I like about this is, like you said, they don't even know that they need to change or are aware of the change. This is actually a great time to hand them these stages of change and say, you might be in this stage the pre-contemplation, because then they start thinking, oh, oh, maybe I do need to change this behavior. Maybe I do need to look at this. So it's a great tool to add at that point in, in recovery. And, and to move them into the next phase, which is contemplation, mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of the interventions in pre-contemplation, and once again, maybe we can go into a, a whole nother episode just on this piece, yeah. is that we move people to contemplation by showing them evidence of what's going on. I mean, you could look at this as like kind of breaking through denial. Yeah. Uh, and that will move them into this next phase, which is is contemplation. So in this stage, people are starting to think about changing their behavior, but they're not really ready to take any kind of action. Yeah. They're thinking about it. And I know I've been in this phase where there's certain things in my life and it's like, mm, I should probably do something differently here. 
Yeah, I've been there too. Uh, you know, but I'm not really like doing anything about it. I'm just thinking about it. I'm yeah. just kind of starting to kind of go, oh yeah, I mean, this is important. Maybe I should do something. Yeah, that's why I like these st- stages of change as well, because it's nice to know what stage you're in as you're going through it. And you can do the interventions that are appropriate for each stage. Yeah. Like it wouldn't be appropriate to try to make them take action if they're still contemplating it or pre-contemplation. It doesn't make sense. So that's why I like this. Yeah, it's probably not going to work. And you're you're going to fight against somebody who's not in the phase that you would hope they would be in. Yeah. Like, I want you to be in this phase of change and you're not. And it's saying, well, this is where they are. They're contemplating. But we can help people move through those mm-hmm. those stages. And so the next stage, that's where we contemplate it, we move into preparation. And in this stage, we're starting to make plans to change our behavior. So, you know, everybody at the new year does this, right? I'm going to eat healthy. Yeah. Before the new year, it's like, oh, it's the holidays. Pre-contemplation, not anything about it. New year's coming up. I start to contemplate it. And then preparation comes along where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to make change. I might get a book. Yeah. And read about dieting or healthy eating. Or gym membership. Everybody gets a gym membership. Right. This is all preparation for the change. And so we move into that. And, you know, in recovery, whether it's ourselves or someone else, we can see that and we can say, okay, what do I, what do I need to prepare for to make this change possible for myself? If you're doing it for yourself, or if you're with a loved one who's struggling, yeah, what might help them? Hey, you know, here's some treatment centers or here's a therapist you could call, or here's a 12 step group or something like that. Yeah. It's kind of prep, right? Yeah. And then once we move out of the preparation stage, we move into action and this is where we're actively trying to change our behavior. Yeah. And we're doing the action. So we're, we're going to therapy or have that plan in place and we're eating healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're actively trying to do it. It doesn't mean that we're there all the way. No, not at all. This is still a work in progress and it takes energy to be in the action phase because we have to consciously walk through these behaviors. But eventually over time, if we stay with that, we move into what is the next phase, which is maintenance. Mm -hmm. And now that we've established these habits, we're working to keep that change. Yeah. Keep that habit going. So people sign up for the gym at the New Year's. They get the gym membership. They start going for a week or two. You want them to fall into the maintenance where it's becoming a habit, where they're going a couple times a week, multiple weeks in a row. And well, I want to add like a, a, a caveat to this in this maintenance phase. It's also when we look at addiction, and they found this in the study too, that relapse and recycle is part of this process of changing from an addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't just get to maintenance and then there we are and we stay there forever. Oftentimes relapse is part of this process. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. It's very important that just because you go to the maintenance phase or a lot of people, I see a lot of people, they go to the action phase, they get that gym membership, they start working out two to three weeks, and then they have to go back to the preparation stage because they didn't realize, oh, I didn't prepare for this. And there's a little cycle there and that's okay. It's okay to try action, have it not work, and then re-prepare again and go back to the preparation stage. And then you might even get up to maintenance and then go all the way back to preparation stage. 
Absolutely. And they actually saw that in their study too, when people were trying to quit smoking, mm -hmm. that they would quit, they'd get into the action phase, maybe move into a little bit of maintenance. And then all of a sudden they would find themselves back again mm -hmm. and they would do it. But each time they were able to learn and grow out of that experience and move back into the process of change again and move through it. And then hopefully get to what we call the final stage, which is termination. And in this stage, people have successfully maintained their new behavior for so long that they really no longer need to think about it. Yeah, It's just part of their life and that new habit is established. But I, I think it's important to say that this is something that when we're making big changes in our life, we're gonna have to go through the stages of change several times. Yeah in order to do it most of the time. I mean, some people just do it and that's good. That's such a small, small percentage of the people that just do it the first time out. I mean, I like to look at it. This is, it's not linear. It's more circular. So you, you go through the action stage, you get to the maintenance, and then you might go back to the preparation stage, action stage, maintenance. And that's a better way to look at it than it is always just linear. Because a lot of people, like we talked about, have guilt and shame around quote, failing or having to go back to the preparation stage. And that's part of it. We grow each time we do that. Absolutely. So we learn how to, how to grow and, and solidify these behaviors. And I think if we can hold this model in our mind, we can, we can say to ourselves, what phase of this am I in mm -hmm. and what do I need to move to the next phase of it? Yeah we can identify it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then keep moving through it. Now, one of the criticisms of this is that it's overly simplistic and that it's, it's really, really simple. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I totally see that as a, as a criticism of it, but I think that it's a model that is really helpful. I like that simplicity of it. It's easy to see it. It's easy to see where you're at, whether you're, you're using it for yourself or you're using it with a client or you're using it as a, as a sponsor in a 12-step group, understanding where people are quickly can kind of say, oh, this is the interventions I need in order to, to move them through it. Yeah. So like when someone is in the contemplation stage, you can help them weigh the pros and cons of changing. Yeah. You can help them move maybe to that next phase of preparation by just exploring their own values. Are you in a behavior that works for you? Yeah. And, and with that contemplation is like, yeah, you know, maybe that isn't the best thing for me. Yeah. And they start moving into preparation stage. Absolutely. And if they're in preparation stage, you can say, okay, we need to get you support. Let's make some goals. Let's identify triggers, develop coping mechanisms and start creating plans. Mm -hmm. to be able to move into action. Yeah. Yeah. I find this very helpful with the pre-contemplation stage. Because if if you can identify that somebody's in that pre-contemplation phase, you don't want to push too hard. Yeah. They tend to put their heels in the ground and not want to change. There's a little bit of that reverse psychology. The harder you push in that stage, the more they're going to dig their heels in. So it's good to know when somebody's there or if you're there yourself, because then you can gently start to educate yourself and move through it. And what I also like about this too, is that 
it helps us recognize that everybody changes differently. Everybody's in their own phase mm -hmm. that it's really, um, I can't move people through that phase. They have to do it themselves and let go that everybody's different. And, and I think it's also important to remember, and you said this earlier, is that this is not necessarily a linear progression Yeah, that we can move back and forth through these phases. Yeah. And I think that's encouraged. I, I mean, I would encourage that. Like if you're doing action and it's not getting you in the right direction, go back to preparation, go back to contemplation phase and kind of reevaluate and move through it again. Like that seems wise to me yeah. instead of just pushing, doing an action that isn't working and pushing through it, reevaluate and then go back in the, in the, in the different stage. Yeah. What I like about this too, is it feels compassionate to me. It feels like, as I was saying earlier, humanistic, it feels humanistic to me. Yeah. Which I like as well. All right. So we're going to wrap it up here. If you would like a worksheet on the stages of change, uh, go to the show notes, download it. You can get it there. We'll outline all of these things and see if you can apply them to your own life and take action to move yourself to the next phase if that's what fits for you. Yeah. If you are in pre-contemplation phase, maybe this is a good step. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much and see you next time. Thank you for tuning into the Addicted Mind Plus. We hope today's episode has brought you valuable insights and a small step to support your journey in recovery, mental health, and wellness. For more information about this episode and additional resources, please visit our website at theaddictedmind.com forward slash plus. And if there's a topic you're eager to hear about or a question you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us at theaddictedmind.com and let us know your thoughts. Your journey is important and we're here to support you every step of the way. Until next time, take care and keep stepping forward on your path to wellness. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.